Hey out there, everybody in quarantine land. This is your friendly neighborhood storyteller, AJ Hennenberg, back with another episode of Quarantine Stuff You Should Know. I'll, I'll make my intro here brief. If you are new to the podcast, please go check out our other content. It's classical stuff you should know usually, and there are three of us. This is just something I'm doing by myself during quarantine to keep everybody from going totally bananas. My quarantine ends today. I'm kind of happy about that, and but I'm going to keep doing this as long as I am not meeting with the classical stuff crew. We got to keep content coming one way or the other, so I'm going to keep on going. But again, if you're new, go back and listen to our other stuff. This is just something I'm doing to pass the time, bringing you stories from the Decameron, which is 100 stories also told during quarantine by 10 people. And this is the fourth story from day number two. And without further ado, here we go. So after Pampanea finished her story, Loretta spoke instantly, without waiting. She saw that it was her turn. And she said, Most gracious ladies, no deeds of fortune are as great as taking someone from the depths of poverty up to a kingly throne. And since nobody can really beat that, I can't really feel any shame if I tell you a story that while it contains even greater misfortunes than Pampanea's did, it doesn't come to so splendid a conclusion. My guy won't end up as a king. So maybe you guys will pay less attention to mine, but you'll have to excuse me because it's simply the best that I can do. So they say between Reggio and Gaeta, which is one of the best parts of Italy, there close to Salerno is the Amalfi Coast, which houses many small towns. One of those towns, Ravello, which today has many rich men living there, but back then used to have a very rich man named Landolfo Ruffolo. Ruffolo. Landolfo Ruffolo. I think that's right who was really extraordinarily rich, but he wasn't content. He wanted to double his wealth. And so he decided to make a little venture for himself. So he made all the necessary preliminary calculations that merchants make. He bought a very large ship, loaded it with merchandise of all sorts, bought with his own money, and then sailed it to Cyprus. And when he arrived and tried to hawk his wares, he found that other ships with exactly the same kind of merchandise had also just arrived. So... He found out that not only did he have to sell his merchandise for cheaper than he was planning, but by the end, he was practically just giving it away, bringing him close to ruin. He was distressed. He finally decided that the only way to restore his losses and return home not a destitute man was by means of piracy, and he was going to do it or die in the attempt. He was determined not to go home a poor man. So he located a buyer for his large boat, his merchant's boat, and with the money from that and the money from his merchandise, he bought a small, sleek, fast pirate ship and armed it as well as possible with the money he had and equipped it with everything necessary for piracy. And he dedicated himself to making other people's property his own from that day forward, especially any property belonging to the Turks. And in this undertaking, in his life as a pirate, Fortune was much more favorable to him than she had been when he was a merchant. Within the space of a year, he had captured and plundered many Turkish ships, and he ended up doing exactly what he intended on doing in the first place, which was doubling what he lost. And since he had learned from his previous losses that he doesn't want to be in that situation again, he decided against a repetition, a repetition of his former experience and persuaded himself to rest content, rest, sorry, rest content, take his loot, and return home. He was wary at this point of commercial ventures, so he didn't invest his money, but made his crew ply their oars to the water and take him home as fast as possible, with his money in tow. After he got as far as the archipelago, 
He ran into a fierce southern wind blowing head-on, and he, he just wasn't making any progress. His tiny little ship was thrown back again and again by larger and larger waves. So he took shelter in a little cove on the leeward side of a small island to wait out the wind. It just so happens that there were two other ships with the same idea. Two large Genoese merchant ships returning from Constantinople also struggled into the cove to escape the storm that Landolfo himself had fled. The crews on board the two ships recognized this tiny little pirate boat and knew the reputation, and they knew that it was full of fabulous wealth. So these two ships put their what do you, put their prows together, I guess you can say put their heads together, and then they blocked his way out of the little cove, put a crew of men ashore with crossbows in case anyone should try to bail off of uh, his ship, and then they put out a whole bunch of little dinghies and seized the little pirate ship in short order without losing a man. They brought Landolfo in a shabby little doublet on board and sent his ship to the bottom after they had unloaded all of the wealth from therein. And then the wind changed, so they started heading west, and these merchant ships started making good progress. But that evening, a gale came up and separated the two ships. And by a stroke of bad luck, the ship on which Landolfo, now completely destitute again and in shabby clothing, was being kept was hurled with tremendous force onto the shoals of the island of Cephalonia, where it split apart like glass against a wall. It just shattered stuff everywhere. And so the sea was absolutely strewn with planks and merchandise and chests and chunks of ship, and it was dark, so anyone that could swim and hadn't drowned already grabbed anything within their reach. One of these people, you know, was Landolfo. He could swim, as any good pirate could, and he had that day called on death repeatedly to take him rather than return home a poor man. He had been sitting in jail thinking he would rather die. But now that death was here and looking him straight in the face, he was afraid. And so he seized the first plank that was nearby. There, there he stayed and tried to balance on this plank as the wind and the waves tossed him back and forth and he just tried to endure the night. And nearby, it was dark, he couldn't really see much, but he saw that there was this large chest and it kept on getting closer and closer to him, but he would kick it away whenever it was close. He was afraid that a wave might bring it up and smack it into his plank and knock him over or hit him and injure him. It just seemed like a good idea to keep it far away. But a gust of wind, nonetheless, drove the chest right into the plank he was on and turned him upside down. When he finally came up, more from just desperation than from any real strength, he saw that the plank was now too far away. So he climbed onto the chest and did his best to hold it upright. He pretty much just clamped his arms around the whole thing and tried to keep it from turning over. He spent that whole day and the following night tossed by the sea. The next day, he was at the point where he was almost a sponge, but he reached the island of Corfu, still clinging to the chest. There was a poor woman washing her pots and pans in the sand and salt water on the beach, and when she looked out, she saw him coming in clinging to this chest, but she didn't know what it was. And so, thinking it was some sort of sea monster or something, she ran off. But she kind of looked back, and as it came closer into shore, she made out a pair of arms. And then she made out a head, and she made out some legs, and finally realized that it was a poor fellow clinging to a chest. Poor Landolfo could barely see, let alone speak, so he had no way of reaching out to her. Nonetheless, she waited out, seized him by the hair, and dragged him ashore, still clinging to his chest. 
When she got him there, she, with great effort, pried his arms away from the chest, handed the chest to her young daughter, and put Landolfo in a hot bath where she rubbed him down and washed him in the warm water and just really spent some effort there to get his body back to actually functioning and eventually some heat and strength returned. And so she cared for him. And at the point where he was okay to take nourishment, she gave him wine and sweets to try to bring some strength back. And it was a few days where he stayed and she did her best to get him back into working order. By the time that his strength did return and he finally figured out where he was, she thought it'd be best if he was on his way. So she thought to herself, you know, I should just give him back his chest and make him fend for himself. Poor, there's nothing he needs to do here. So she did. She gave him the chest and told him to essentially buzz off. Well, Landolfo picked up the chest and unfortunately it was really light and he was like, ah, stink. And maybe it would pay his expenses for a couple of days. When he finally got it open, he found that inside were many precious stones. Some were in settings, some were not. And he, from being a rich man and a merchant, recognized instantly that they were all extremely valuable. And he knew that Fortune had cruelly made him her target twice, so he feared a third interference from the goddess Fortune. So he took all the stones out of the chest, he wrapped them in old rags, and then he went to the woman and he said, Dear woman, I will happily trade you this chest, which I no longer have use for, for an old sack if you'd like that trade. She thought that was a great idea. Sack for chest makes sense. So they made the trade. He took the sack and the stones and boarded the first boat to Brindisi. And then he traveled along the coastline until Traney, where he ran into some cloth merchants who turned out to be fellow townsmen. He told them everything, save, of course, that he was carrying a whole cache of jewels, and he pleaded with them to give him a new suit of clothes so he could get out of his rags. They also lent him a horse and found him someone to take him all the way back to Ravello, which is what he just wanted to do at all costs. He just wanted to get home. When he finally arrived... Landolfo thanked God for having brought him there, and then he started to look over the stones, and he found that they were so numerous and such high quality that even if he sold them for less than they were worth, he would still end up a very rich man. And this he did. He finally found some buyers, and it ended up that it doubled his money. It was twice than he had originally sent out with. And so he sent the lady in Corfu a tidy sum for having taken care of him. And he did the same for those merchants and trainee who gave him new clothes. And at this point, he was very tired of all money-making endeavors. And so he gave up thought of being a merchant, kept the rest of the money, and lived on it in prosperity for the rest of his life. And that is the story of Landolfo the Pirate. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the story. I will try to come back with one tomorrow. I got a busy day, but I will do my best to have something for you. Anyway, this is AJ Hannenberg with Quarantine Stuff You Should Know, signing off. Stay safe out there, everybody. And uh, my prayers go out to you. Bye. Bye.